So it's not just for Black people. It's not just for women. It's for everyone to spotlight and highlight the contributions and the value that we have received from amazing leaders who just happen to be Black and who just happen to be female. Hey there. What's going on? You are, you are, that's you, are listening to episode number 137 of Future Proof. Thanks for being here. Bill Sheridan is my name. Glad uh, we could all, you know, get together like this. Always a pleasure. Uh, First things first, uh, this week's sponsor is the Business Learning Institute, which delivers competency-based curriculum courses, content, and community to maximize career trajectories and grow intellectual capital for organizational and executive leadership. Hundreds of courses, dozens of instructors, and unlimited customization. Find out how the Business Learning Institute can help you by visiting blionline.org. So here we are. We are edging into the latter part of March, which is Women's History Month. A great time to look back on the countless contributions women have made to accounting and finance. A little bit of trivia here. Can you tell me who the first female CPA ever in the United States was? Ever. Uh, Here's a hint. Whatever time frame you're thinking of, it's way too recent, okay? The answer is Christine Ross. She was born in 1873 in Nova Scotia. She took New York's first ever CPA exam, and that was in December of 1896. And uh, uh, there was an 18-month delay in releasing her scores due to her gender. I don't know why, but it was eventually revealed uh, that her score actually placed her in the top two or three in her group. Pretty cool. And then in December 1899, she was issued certificate number 143. Uh, which made her the first female CPA in the United States. And for all of you Marylanders tuning in, Maryland's first CPA, first female CPA, actually was Elsa Doach. Uh, she earned Maryland certificate number 45 really early on in 1909, followed immediately by Florence Hooper, who earned certificate number 46 in that same year. So back to back right there, huh? little history for you. Lots to celebrate as Women's History Month draws to a close. The AICPA uh, put together a fantastic video highlighting just a few of the many, many ways that women have helped and continue to help strengthen the profession. You can check that video out on YouTube. It's, it's called International Women's Day, Women Strengthen the Accounting Profession. Well worth your time. And the back-to-back celebrations of uh, Black History Month in February and Women's History Month in March, they're really good reminders that there's still a lot of barriers left across, right? For as much progress as we've made, much, much more still needs to be done. And and like all things, you know, the pandemic, now back to the pandemic, right? The pandemic has been an accelerant in this area as well. This is this is from uh, McKinsey's uh, Women in the Workforce 2020 report, which came out late last year. That report says, quote, 
The events of 2020 have turned workplaces upside down, and women in particular have been negatively impacted. Women, especially women of color, are more likely to have been laid off or furloughed during the COVID-19 crisis, stalling their careers and jeopardizing their financial security. The pandemic has intensified challenges that women already faced. Working mothers have always worked a double shift, a full day of work followed by hours spent caring for children and doing uh, household labor. Now, the supports that made this possible, including school and childcare, have been upended. Meanwhile, black women already faced more barriers to advancement than most other employees. Today, they're also coping with the disproportionate impact of COVID 19 on the black community and the emotional toll of repeated instances of racial violence falls heavily on their shoulders. And then the report goes on to say this. It says, quote, as a result of these dynamics, more than one in four women are contemplating what many would have considered unthinkable just six months ago, downshifting their careers or leaving the workforce completely. This is an emergency for corporate America. Companies risk losing women in leadership and future women leaders, and unwinding years of painstaking progress toward gender diversity. End quote. Again, that's from McKinsey's Women in the Workforce 2020 report. So, you know, with all of that going on, it's great to know that the profession's focus on improving diversity and equality and inclusion throughout the ranks, it's more than just lip service. And Leading that charge, as usual, is my guest this week. She is Kimberly Ellison Taylor. You know the drill by now, right? Kimberly is a former MACPA chair, a former AICPA chair. She's the executive director of finance thought leadership for Oracle. More to the point for this conversation, she is incoming chair of the AICPA's National Commission on Diversity and inclusion, as well as incoming president of Beta Alpha Psi, which is the International Honor Society for Accounting and Finance Students and Professionals. And you know, she uh, she has her pulse on the profession's DNI initiatives uh, more than anyone I know. So we sat down recently and uh, talked about what the AICPA's National Commission is focusing on these days, and and how generational issues factor into the diversity and inclusion conversation, because they do, and how we can start moving this conversation away from you know groups of individuals and toward more inclusiveness across the board. So terrific conversation, terrific thoughts this week from one of our profession's, I think, most important voices in the DEI uh, discussion. Here is my conversation with Kimberly Ellison Taylor. Hi, Kimberly. How are you? Hi, Bill. How are you today? I, I'm I'm doing well. Hanging in there. I, I, every time I see you, it seems like you're doing something new. I have. Do you ever slow down? No, I probably don't. I remember doing some community service, and I was trying to teach some seniors how to line dance, but they taught me. <laughs> but one of the things I said to one of the young ladies, and she said, "Young lady." She's talking to me. She said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. There you and go. I said, okay, it's probably not a bad approach to life. Take it on full charge and move forward. There's a, there's a lot to do, isn't there? Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So uh, that's all good. So, you know, we're, we're just coming off Black History Month in February. We're in the middle of Women's History Month. I guess my first question for you is, as a Black woman, <laughs> what, are, what do those celebrations mean to you? It is an amazing opportunity, Bill, to celebrate and elevate the achievements of people who usually don't seek it for themselves. And I would say that for women in particular, sometimes we are the last ones to really be in the limelight. And now it's our turn. And it's so exciting to see so many women being applauded and receiving their flowers while they're living. It is amazing. And then from a Black History Month, and even from Women's History Month as well, I've said congratulations to people that weren't female and that weren't Black, because I think of those as months that are for all of us. Those are months that represent the achievements that we may not even know that we're using every day, the celebrations and outstanding contributions that people have made that are Black and in particular female, and we may not know. So it's not just for Black people. It's not just for women. It's for everyone to spotlight and highlight the contributions and the value that we have received from amazing leaders who just happen to be Black and who just happen to be female. Yeah, yeah that might actually answer my next question, but I was going to ask you, what kind of lessons do you hope that most people will take with them um, you know, as these, as these celebrations kind of pass this year? I think we, sh we should totally take that we need allyship more <laughs> now than ever, mm -hmm. and that we, every single person, you don't have to be Black to support Black people, you don't have to be a female to support women, that this is a job for all of us, that we have the opportunity to support others, especially, and even more so if they don't look like us. And I hope that people saw many of the posts. I think we're getting better at it. I mean, my entire life, I've seen Black History Month focused down to 28 days in February. And more recently, over the last two years or so, I'm starting to see just a broader, widespread recognition that you don't have to be Black to support Black people. This is for all of us. We are all stakeholders. We might not be all allies yet, because some of us are still, quite frankly, trying to figure out what that means, but we are all stakeholders. And as stakeholders, we should be paying attention and getting as much education and awareness about what happens in the lives of people who are just different. And from a female perspective, we've come a long way. Mm -hmm. But there's still a way to go. And I am hoping that this month in particular highlights the things that women have been saying for quite some time. We are ready to take our seat at the table. And we are more than capable, qualified, and have the credibility and experience to earn our seat at the table. And I hope as we start to see more and more women in C-suite positions or more and more women on boards, that there is a recognition that women are long overdue and that we're ready. You use that word ally or allyship frequently. I've, I've heard you use it a lot lately. What, what I guess uh, kind of a two-pronged question here. What does that mean to you to be an ally? And what do we, like everyone, what, what can we do to become allies ourselves? 
Great question, Bill. And I will tell you, and I even wrote an article about allyship starts, you know, first things first. Mm -hmm. I think it just starts with fundamentally being a good person. We weren't using allyship 15, 20 years ago when I started my career in 1988, when I went to college, we weren't using allyship. We were using, I can't even say we were using the word sponsor. Mentor as a word has been around for quite some time, but just the words that we're using today to describe being a good person, caring about your colleagues, extending yourself to help someone else, giving someone else the guidance that you wish you had learned or you wish you had learned sooner. Those are just hallmarks, I think, of being a good leader. And so today, when people are trying to figure out what does allyship mean, I think it really does come down to, are you a caring colleague? Do you care about the people that are reporting into you? or that you work alongside every single day. And so in the article, I was giving examples. Some of them were a little tongue in cheek about the great advice you give people when they show up for work, like not to eat the lunch in the cafeteria refrigerator if it's not yours. And, and so that was actually advice that someone told me when I showed up at NASA. So it was good advice that I pay it forward every chance I get. Don't eat the lunch if your name isn't on it. Note to self. And then two, I think it's, yeah, how about that? Mm -hmm. And then two, Bill, I think it's really about what you would do and how you would want people to treat you. And then it's overlaid with how others would want you to treat them. And so when you put all of the golden rule and the platinum rule together, the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The platinum rule is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. I think about what I would want as a colleague. And that's what I put in that article. If I'm approaching the door and I've got a laptop bag, a box under one arm, and I'm juggling a bunch of folders, would it be difficult to expect that someone would hold the door for me or to hold the elevator for me to let me get on? Or if I'm in the process of missing a meeting and you hear my name to text me and say, hey, Kimberly, you're, you're missing this meeting. So allyship also means just speaking up, Bill, being an advocate for others and not being a silent co-signer, not being complicit in silence when you know that wrongs are being done. But it's a full circle of what allyship means. There's some great points there. You know, we keep, we keep talking about diversity and inclusion uh, as if it's, I don't know, something that will, you know, magically happen with I don't know, positive thoughts and good wishes or, or whatever the case may be, but it's it's really a concerted effort among people at all levels of our profession. They're all kind of taking heed of this. You're, you're now incoming chair of the AICPA's Commission on Diversity and Inclusion. I think I got that right anyway. Tell me a little bit about the work that, that group is doing. It is an amazing, an amazing opportunity for me to really share my passion for helping other people. If I could wear a shirt every day, it would say inclusion lives here. I I want to live allyship. I want to live inclusion. I want every child, every boy, every girl across the United States and around the world to see that our profession is the best one, that there is opportunity for them to succeed and to be the best version of themselves and to know that they're 
are so many paths forward. They don't have to just pick one, they can pick several. And so the work on the commission alongside top leaders in our profession, we have firms, we have people who represent different facets. So of firms, so small, large, big four, that's incredible to me that we have so much brain trust and talent lending themselves to how do we help improve the pipeline? How do we ensure that our firms have the resources and the tools that they need to be successful in this area, especially when they may not have the financial wherewithal to afford dedicated resources? What can we do to help? What can we help our educators with so that they also have the resources and tools that they need? And then, of course, in everything that we do, it's always about the public interest and advancing the public interest because we serve a valuable and extremely critical role in helping to shape the capital markets and helping to assure that Mr. and Mrs. Main Street investor has the best information possible to make the most effective decisions about how they're going to expend and invest their funds. And so we have, I would say, a daunting task ahead of us, but we want our profession to be representative of what the world looks like and showcase the talent that is already here, but we need to keep them and then make sure that it's a place where other young people know that they can be attracted and recruited and also get to the highest levels that they've ever dreamed of. And so I am excited to get to work with Rich Catarano, who is the current chair, and Crystal Cook, who is the director of diversity and inclusion, and then also lend my talent. So I cannot wait until I have the opportunity to continue to further, you know, my considerable ideas, I think I have around what we can do and certainly advancing Rich's ideas as well. And of course, our current chair of AICPA and yeah. as well as incoming leadership. And, you know, just kind of leafing through the group's website here. I mean, you're, you address the needs of a, a pretty wide range of audiences here. You're talking students, you're talking educators, people in public practice, uh, people in corporate finance, uh, it's a, a, how do you, how do you decide where to focus your efforts when, when the range of audiences out of necessity because of the nature of this profession is so broad? Well, I think what we do is focus on the capability and functionality and then determine who would best use it because using that, we can then leverage it to business and industry. We can leverage it to around the world team members and colleagues. And so let me just give an example around our accounting inclusion maturity model. And that model basically is a, an assessment that organizations can do to determine where they are and give them some guidance on where they could be. We also have a blog newsletter that's called Inclusion Solutions, and it's available and anyone can sign up for it. But there are really great articles, suggestions, highlights, ideas, strategies, lessons learned, leading practices that are highlighted in the Inclusion Solutions. And so while we may be thinking of public practice in particular and corporate finance, I would dare say that anyone could tweak it a little bit and it would be extremely valuable for them as well. And so by working from a resource perspective and thinking about what problem are we really trying to solve. And I think it's attracting young people into the profession. It's also identifying what resources they might need to be successful. 
And then it's hopefully inspiring inclusion and a sense of trust and belonging so that they will stay in the profession. And so using those things, we're able, I think, to appeal to a wider audience, even if our primary focus might be around public and uh, corporate finance. So I'm glad you mentioned young people coming into the profession, you know, I mean, and, and as you know, diversity inclusion goes way beyond just like race and gender. I mean, there's a generational aspect, I think, to this conversation as well. How do we bring in those, those, the voices of, of our younger professionals and your, your incoming president elect beta alpha side, which is the, you know, the honor organization for, for accounting and finance professionals. Why did, why did you feel it was important to get involved there? Oh my gosh, how exciting is that, Bill? I remember when I became the chairman of AICPA and my themes were technology and next generation leadership. And so being on the commission provided an avenue to get in the next generation leadership aspect of my commitment and passion to move the ball forward and pay it forward. Beta Alpha Psi is going to help me evolve it to the next level. And I am so excited that I get to work with truly our leaders who are going to lead us and move the ball forward across public accounting, business and industry, government, education, not-for-profit and consulting. And that I, on the commission, get to work with the amazing best and brightest affinity groups that we are working with that have, you know, it's NABA, it's you know, Alpha, it's Ascend, it's NC PACA. So imagine those two pipelines of students coming together. And so we don't want to miss anyone. We want every student to see themselves in our profession. And Beta Alpha Psi has an amazing opportunity to do even more of the great service work it's doing, to do even more of the opportunities and networks that are being afforded and provided to students who are in accounting and finance, business analytics, and also technology, Bill. So I am standing at the intersection of finance and technology, and Beta Alpha Psi is as well. And so I'm looking forward to bringing forward all of those different demographic areas that are so key and, and so important and also working to look at disruption and look forward into what our careers and what their careers might be on the other side of graduation. Kind of curious, what are, what are you hearing from some of these young professionals about, you know, the, I guess it could be almost anything, but I, I'm thinking specifically like the future of this profession and their role in it. What kind of things are sticking out for you? It's, it's an interesting question because the pandemic has definitely given them some pause because mm -hmm. in their lives for many of them, and of course I can't speak for them as a monolithic group, and I will specifically talk about my sons who are 16 and 18. So I've got some at least incumbent knowledge, although, you know, day to day that could change. I think right. every parent, aunt, you know, sister, brother, we all know that this could change day to day with what's happening in the world. But I would say they are still optimistic. And every day I, you know, I check on my son. He's a college student. I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, mom, why do you keep calling me asking me if I'm okay? And I said, because your mental health and wellness is important. You know, they, they both are, are important to me. And I want to make sure that I'm not missing something. He's right. like, mom, you're not missing anything. And I said, well, tell me what you think. What, what's going on? And he said, well, 
this will pass. I was like, really? That's that's kind of your your thing. I was more disappointed, Bill, that he didn't do graduation and prom than I think he was. Yeah. And and so his ability, my older son's ability to rebound from it was inspiring to me. Because I think the first couple of you know weeks, I kept thinking we were going to be back at work. And then when I realized that we weren't, I know I probably spent a full day curled up on the sofa, binging on Special Victims Unit of Law and Order just to <laughs> get my whole mind together on what is happening in the world. And I think we all did something. Some people went hiking, some people went biking, some people, you know, decided they were going to take a, you know, a trip in the wherever by themselves. I just know that young people are a lot more resilient than we may have been thinking they were. And I think that in this particular generation, they are technology digital natives. So the things that we're still wrapping our arms around in the fourth industrial revolution, they don't know any different. They weren't there on the third industrial revolution. So they didn't see the switch happening. And so for them, the pace of change that we think is fast is their normal speed. And that is the most interesting. So here we are in my lifetime, we are Googling things. We are talking about digital marketing. We're talking about not even really having libraries as much anymore because you could do all the research on the internet. Mm -hmm. And all of that bill has happened since the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I think you're onto something there. I mean, I I have an 18 year old daughter. She's in her second semester at college freshman year. And it's the same type of thing, Kimberly. I mean, I, I was, my wife and I were, were concerned about, you know, the impact the pandemic was going to have on her and, and her well-being. And she's just rolling with the punches, you know? I mean, I don't, I almost think that, and, and of course, every person is different and every person's going to internalize it in a different way. But in general, I almost wonder if, you know, be, being born and raised in this type of environment where, change is just the one constant we can all count on that, you know, they kind of looked at what's going on right now is just another form of change that you got to deal with, you know, and it's just the way it is. It's even more interesting to me, Bill, too, because I don't think they even characterize it as change. Mm -hmm. They just characterize it as their normal. Yeah. So we see it as change because we knew the difference. They don't see it as change because they grew up in an environment where change is so the constant that it no longer deserves its own call out. It's just life. Right. And so that is, and it took me a minute to really try to understand that. And I know that everyone's not faring well. And so we have to all pay attention. We do. And I'm not going to stop calling my son and saying, hey, how are you doing? And let me check on you just because he says he's got it because I want to do the double check, but I am inspired by him and all of the other young people that I have the opportunity to speak with because they are all about the and, and I love it. And I talk about and all the time. I'm going to continue to talk about and, but when I was coming up through my career, a lot of it was, or you're going to do this or you're going to do that. And when I hear the things that young people talk about, you're talking about having a multi-threaded career, a portfolio career. They're going to do a whole bunch of things and they're not going to feel limited or put in a box. And that is just absolutely 
inspiring to me. And, and I applaud them. And I want to be not only a stakeholder, I want to be an ally. And I want to help them and support them and encourage them, motivate them and push when I need to them to do better tomorrow than they are today. And, and I would definitely say to them and, and all the young people I come in contact with, we may not have left you the yeah. best of environments, <laughs> yeah. but know that we are here to help you however we can. Mm -hmm. And we are so looking forward to their leadership because they're going to bring a new context and new ideas. And even just the way that many of them think about diversity, they don't even understand why it's a point to even talk about. And I know that's true because when I went to my son's school and I saw the number of Caucasian people walking around with Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. and they don't, they weren't thinking of it as an organization. And I know some of our colleagues would say, oh, well, it's the organization. I want to look on their website. They literally took the words Black Lives Matter. It didn't say they didn't support all lives. It didn't say they weren't going to support white lives. It didn't say they weren't supporting blue lives. All of those things are possible. There's no reason that we have to put or and or and or. Why can't we be and? And all of those things matter. And, and the same way that if I were supporting Susan G. Komen for breast cancer awareness, I wouldn't show up with, you know, American Lung Association. I'm presuming that that's what they're doing. They're supporting in the moment and for what's appropriate. And that they were, if they were in another scenario, Bill, they would be supporting that too. I know that would be me. I'm going to support everyone that I can, where I can, how I can. And I don't need to be what other group or age in order to do it. I just want to make sure that I'm living my truth and that I understand fully that digital transformation or more broadly transformation includes people. And so for as much as I love technology and talking about AI and machine learning and blockchain, what will any of those things matter if we don't have people and teams on board to move this ball along? And if we're not trying to better engage with our clients and customers to create omni-channel frictionless experiences that matter to the bottom line. And so people matter to the bottom line. And I hope that we're looking at the pipeline, but we're also looking at the individuals and leaders who are already on deck and might need that support as well. And that brings me quite naturally into my next question when you talk about that and, right? I mean, how do we start taking this conversation, this diversity and equality and inclusion conversation beyond, it seems to be very segmented in at certain times, right? Beyond, oh, we need more black leaders or we need more female leaders, or even, you know, we need uh, louder voices for our young professionals and, and start taking that conversation to a different place where we're seeing diversity and inclusion as all of that, right? It's not just this at this time or this at this time. How can we start taking it beyond different groups of people that we want to include and start saying, you know what, we need to we need to include everyone in this conversation. This is about, it's not about this group or that group or that group. It's about us, right? I'm, I'm just curious I think if you have any thoughts about how we can move <laughs> that conversation forward in, in that way. It has occurred to me. I have, cannot tell you how many hours I have sat thinking why, why and how did we get to this? 
and so many thoughts, but I will say it comes down to the heart and mind. And so I have done a presentation where I talk about the heart and mind coming together. And I think it's knowing your audience because there are people that you can appeal to with facts and history and they will totally 100% get it. And then there are people who, quite frankly, did not understand the issue until it was right in their backyard. Until their kids had was, you know, their kids were coming out of the closet saying, mom and dad, you know, this is who I love. This is who I want to be with. Will you love me or will you not? And so until a lot of people were, I would say, confronted with that, they never even thought about what that life would be like and how hard it could be to be judged on who you love. And I think it's the same way for any of those ethnicity groups. It could be you know, race, religion, whether you are first generation, based on your ability. I think just as you said earlier, there are so many different facets to diversity and inclusion. And so for those individuals, they have to have it right firsthand in their face on what would you do? If you and I were walking down the street and we said, oh, we're going to go to a restaurant and the restaurant said whites and coloreds, what would you do? Would you leave me there and say, well, Kimberly, I'm really hungry. I'm just going to see you later. Or would you say, first of all, we don't say colors anymore, (laughs) but would you and would you say we're not eating here? And not only are we not eating here, I'm going to tell my friends and the people I know not to eat here. Now, as egregious as that example is, we are confronted with similar examples in the workplace that may not be as big as that, but it happens all the time. When you see things happening, you have to say something. You cannot, and maybe not in that moment. I get that. You have to have safety. It has to be appropriate. You don't want to sabotage your own career. You have to figure out when it's appropriate, but you should definitely speak up. If someone said, oh, we'd love to have Kimberly, but she she has those two sons. So I don't know if she'd be able to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the moment where you say, well, we didn't ask if Bill, how Bill was going to do it. And Bill has two sons. Mm-hmm. So why didn't we ask about Bill? I mean, there are appropriate ways to be an advocate for others in a way that's not confrontational but to ask the question and to get people thinking about what's happening. So we have to get beyond just intentions. We have to get beyond just words. We have to get beyond silent support. And I think we have to figure out the messaging that will work based on the audience. And like I said, Bill, for some, for years, I would only talk about the bottom line. I'd only talk about the disruption, you know, diversity of thought and why we needed different people at the table to help us with new business models. And yes, I know the entire messaging and the talk track on why it's good for business. But then I realized that I needed to be a little more vulnerable and I needed to talk about my own experiences as a Black woman and my own experiences and fears and questions that I've had, because by not saying anything at all, maybe people thought it didn't impact me. And so I needed to be a little more upfront and a little more authentic so that people who rely on me to give them the truth will say, wow, it's happening to Kimberly, then it must be happening everywhere. It absolutely is. And I don't want anyone to think that anyone is excluded from this when you're not in the majority 
it happens every single day, a hundred times a day. And the wounds that we're seeing today are a reflection of us not taking care of it. And so now it's festering. And now we've pulled the Band-Aid off. And for some of us, we're just like, oh my gosh, I never even knew this was happening. But I'm really inspired by the number of corporations, the number of people who have stepped forward and said, enough is enough. We cannot continue forward this way. We are going to make course corrections. We are going to get the training. We are going to be advocates. And that is what I would say wakes me up every day, Bill, with a smile on my face, because there are so many more people that care and that who really are stakeholders and allies in this particular area. So it's exciting. And that's why I stay positive, And that's why I stay so optimistic. That's fantastic. I mean, the, the, you're doing so much already. What's, what's next for you? What do you got your eye on next, Kimberly? Oh, there are so many different things. I want to have an impact. I live by to whom much is given, much is required. And because of that, I want to make sure I am creating space for the next generation to live their dreams, regardless of where they've come from. Everyone knows by now that I grew up in the inner city of Baltimore. I want wherever you come from, whether you came from middle-class America or the inner city of Baltimore or cities like Baltimore, that you are able to see yourself at the table, that people don't discount or dismiss you because they think you didn't come from the same background as they did. And I know that we've got some work to do, and we've got some equity stuff that we need to do, but I am in, I'm here for it. And so I'm doing my part. And hopefully by doing the small part that I am, that I will create and help and foster, elevate, cultivate, mobilize and galvanize a way, 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 way more people than they are even today around doing this kind of work to help them as they move forward. And so all of those things. I am here for this whole effort and I'm so excited. Well, thank God for that. And thank God for you. We need, <laughs> we, we need about a thousand Kimberly Ellison Taylors out there doing this work. So thanks for what you do. And thanks for being here today, Kimberly. Uh, your insights are, are brilliant as always. And I appreciate your time and I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Really great insights there from Kimberly Ellison Taylor. As usual, she is incoming chair of the AICPA's National Commission on Diversity and Inclusion, as well as incoming president of Beta Alpha Psi. You can learn more about either of those at AICPA.org or BAP.org. Also, don't forget this week's sponsor is the Business Learning Institute, the BLI's Future Ready Learning Framework outlines the skills that CPAs need to thrive in the rapidly changing world of accounting and finance. That framework is all about gaining and maintaining deep technical knowledge along with a strategic skill set. We're talking about strategic aptitudes that have been identified as most crucial for tomorrow's CPAs. Start mastering these future-ready skills now. I mean, right now by visiting macpa.org slash future dash learning dash framework. And that's all I got, gang. Have a great week. Glad you were here. We will talk to you again soon.